The show's about to start. Are you ready? Welcome to the show. This is Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm your host, the Iceman, Jeff Trenopole. And as always, I'm bringing you sports from a west side point of view right here in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio, home of the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, the American Athletic Champs, and who are going to have a great football season this year. Now, do me a favor. If you found the show, hit that like and subscribe button. Smash that thumbs up. You guys are awesome. I'm up to 1,236 subscribers. I appreciate every single one of you guys. If it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be able to do this. So this is awesome. I appreciate it. Also, we always have super chats going on in the YouTube channel. So if you guys want to support what I'm doing, you can go ahead and give me a super chat. and I'll pop it up there as soon as I can. Now, this show and every show is brought to you by T Properties. T Properties, quality housing for quality people. Check out the website at www.tpropertiesllc.com for all your rental property management needs and your rental needs. All right, I know I'm coming on way earlier than I normally do, but if you checked out yesterday's show, and that's why you always have to watch me every single day to find out what's going on, I have a very special guest on the show. He is one of the guys, I call him the king of sports talk in Cincinnati as of right now. He is one of the guys I kind of modeled what I do. I'm not exactly the same thing, but I kind of try to do you know, what he does. He is none other than 700 W.O.W.'s Lance McAllister. Lance, what's going on, man? I am so excited to be here. And, and I got to say this. I What you have built from the ground up here, from scratch. And I remember back in the days when you first reached out to me and, and were bouncing ideas off of me. And you said, you know what? I want to do this. I want to do this. And I offered whatever input I could <laughs> offer. And to see and to think of where you were in the, the earliest days of this to what you've built it into now. Um, you have you have carved out a, a spot that has become really a, a like a corner sports bar where people can pull up a chair and, and listen to Cincinnati Sports Conversation. I, I'm so excited for what you've done and so proud of what you've done. Um, it, it's been a hell of a run, and congratulations. Well, thanks, Lance. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, you, you are right. I, I was like, ah, you know, I'll, I'll start out doing a little 
video here. I'm like, I don't know if it's any good. I sent it to you. And you're like, yeah, you know, he gave me some pointers and stuff like that. I kept going, kept going. And yep, rolling into this now. And I've, I, I'm having a blast. And like I said, I appreciate you coming on the show. And it's, this is what I've always wanted to do. So this is cool. I've been having you on the show is great. So anyway, let's get the, enough with the hugs and kisses and all that stuff. Let's get to the reds here. <laughs> let's start with the, the good here first. The good, obviously, is they finally beat the Padres last night, five to four. The bullpen actually worked, <laughs> kept them in the game, you know, and, and they won. I mean, and we were talking about this before the show started. If we had a bullpen, we would have won at least three or four of these games with, with the Padres. Yeah, you know, I, I tweeted last night, this team dot, dot, dot. And there's so many different ways to answer that or complete that thought because right. at times this team you, you love and want, want to embrace and, and celebrate like last night. And then this team on occasions will leave you wanting to pull your hair out. And I don't have any more hair to pull out. And yet it will get you so frustrated. But that's kind of the beauty of this team. And I think this city has really embraced this team. More and more people I talk to, they it's hard not to love this team. Now, there's a clear separation of this team to ownership and what, you know, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. But you watch these players bust their tail night in and night out and the way they did it last night. And it, it's just, it's impossible not to really like and root for what this team is doing. They've been up against it so many times. And I, I joke, there's a, there's a magnet with this team. And when they get above 500, the magnet pulls them back down. And when they drop below 500, the magnet pulls them back up. Right. And it leaves them right where they are at the 500 mark. And it's maddening at times, but man, it's, it's been a ride this season. Yeah, it, it's been fun. And I agree with you. It, it is a team that Cincinnati fans can get behind because it's grit. It's hustle. They grind yep. it out. And, I mean, those are the things that frustrated me with the team last year. It, it, last year, their offensive pr approach, to me, seemed like we never grinded out at bats. You know, we were always swinging for defenses. This year, it's a complete change. You know, I, I especially uh, Nick Castellanos and, and Jesse Winker are, are two all-stars. I think they're doing something that a lot of major baseball players should follow. I don't see them trying to lift and separate. If the ball is outside, they're taking it to right or left field. They're hitting the ball where it's pitched. You know, I don't see them trying to hit 500 home runs, you know, every every at bat like a lot of these guys in in pro baseball are doing right now. And I think it's infectious, and there's no question. Look, a year ago they hit 212. That's mm -hmm. the lowest batting average in the history of this franchise, and it was maddening. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And the stop and start of spring training, the pandemic, right. the shortened season. A lot of people say, had they been able to go 162, you would have seen them become more of who they actually were. And they hit into some bad luck, and that's an analytics thing that people kind of roll their eyes out, but it's the reality. But this year, you're right. What they, the adjustments they've made in the at bats. And even uh, it's infectious from the standpoint, I think it filters throughout the rest of the lineup. Guys see it working and kind of think, all right, if it's working for him, maybe it'll work right. for me. And here's what I really love, the infusion of the young guys who are yes. giving them quality at best, yes. what Indy is doing. what Tyler Stevenson's yeah. game-winning hit last night, it, it was so – from the standpoint of a rookie in that moment with so much on the line, if they lose that game last night, yeah. I, I, I shudder to think how we're feeling about this team today. Right. Tyler Stevenson in that moment, you know, head to the ball, hit it where it was pitched, went the other way with it, didn't try to be a star, didn't try to swing out of his shoes and hit a grand slam. It was something as simple as the ball is on the outside part of the plate. I'm going to keep my head on the ball. I'm going to drive it that way. And as soon as he hit it, he knew it. And yeah. I just, that was, um, 
that, that was a really cool at bat last night and shows a lot about him and it shows a lot about the approach by this team. Yeah, exactly. And how cool was it that Joey Votto was in the batter's, batter's uh, on-deck circle, Yep, didn't have his helmet on, wasn't practicing a swing, he's like, Tyler's got it. You know, just sitting there with knees bent, just sitting there watching it. You know, and usually, you know, he, he would be practicing his swing or something. It just felt like, I know Tyler's got it, you know, and, and he did. And what is this, the yeah. third walk-off for, yeah. for Stevenson this year? I mean, he's unbelievable for, for a rookie. And, th- and that's one thing that I know some Reds fans have got upset that they say the rebuild, quote-unquote, didn't work. Well, I I beg to differ with that. I mean, look at the the rookies that we have. I mean, yeah. with, with with Tyler Stevenson, with India. I, I know Senzel get, gets, gets hurt a ton, but when he plays, he's a very good player for us. So, I mean, Jesse Winker. That's another one, uh, uh, farm homegrown guy that they brought up. So the the quote unquote rebuild did work. No, it didn't work like the Cubs or the Astros, where we got seven All Stars. I mean that that is rarefied air. You know that doesn't happen for everybody. I mean I know you remember when we had the the stadium the stadium debate and uh, Jim Bowden came on there and said we're going to win in two thousand three. We're going to win in two thousand three. Well, two thousand three came around and we sucked. <laughs> you know, and we sucked for another seven years. So the, I guess my point to this long winded uh, comment here is when you have a chance to win, I think you need to go for it. And that's what is killing me with this team right now. We had a chance to win. This division is winnable. I know the Brewers have just went on like a nine, nine and one run or whatever, but they're going to come back down. Do you think the Reds are going to do anything? And with this Trade deadline coming up after the All-Star break. What, what's your opinion on that? That's the, the proverbial $64,000 question. And you, you you are so right. I've, I've always said you don't get to pick the year you contend. The baseball gods pick yep. you. There, there's right. no, you know, you can have your, your best of laid plans, whether it's the Cubs or the Astros or the Royals or whoever was rebuilding over the years. And you can in your mind or maybe on a, on a spreadsheet right now, you know, if we do this right by year, fill in the blank, we'll be ready to contend. Uh, the baseball guy just scoff at stuff like that. They'll ultimately decide. And what 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 kills me is in, in this season with what they're getting from Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, mm-hmm. it was the frustrating thing about how they approached the offseason. Um, you didn't know Castellanos and Winker were going to do this, but you knew the clock was ticking on somebody like Joey Votto. You yes. knew Sonny Gray's a year older. You knew Moose was a year older. You knew that you had gone all in two years ago, mm-hmm. and that starts the clock ticking. And to me, their decision to stand out in the offseason just kind of closed the windowsill on that opportunity. And I, I, I joke, it closed it on the fingertips of the general manager. There was no room. Yeah. There, were, there was no room to do anything at that point. And that what drives me crazy. And now you add to it what Winker has done and what Castellanos has done. And you hate to, to think they punted this season in terms of helping them because if ever a team was in need of help, if ever there was a, a neon sign flashing, help us, we are fighting. Yes. And I, you know, I, I've joked if I were David Bell, when I've come back from road trips, I would have gone down the hall to the owner's office and patted my fist on the desk and said, we need help. My guys are fighting. They need right. help. And if I'm a player, I think I would have been looking up to the owner's box from the dugout, kind of hands up like this, like, are, are you going to help us or not? And that just, I think that thing more than anything else frustrates fans because the opportunities there, it is a very winnable division. Now there's some separation going on with what the Brewers are doing and it gets a, it's, it gets a lot dicier right now. Yeah, exactly. And, and I want to get to, you know, the, the leadership of that, I, I think that Nick Cassianos has brought to this team. You know, 
we've talked about it here in the, in the, in our conversation here. I, I think, I know Joey Votto is the veteran on this team and everybody says it's his team. I honestly think it's Cassiano's team. Now I, I think the, his presence and the way he goes about his business and just his fight. I really think that this team is really taking on his personality. And to me, that's even more scary that he might not be a red next year. <laughs> you know, what are we going to do if, if we don't sign it, we got two all-stars, you know, in the outfit for the first time since 1958, when we had, you know, all starting all-star outfitters with Gus Bell and Frank Robinson. Now we got Nick Cassianos and, and Dwink and this team, really relies on Cassianos and I have a bad feeling they're not gonna they're not gonna resign him they might trade him which I hope not yeah he um he clearly sets a tone for this team and he's yes. clearly an element that this team didn't have um they have an eclectic group of personalities but they didn't and certainly did last year with Trevor yeah. Bauer mm -hmm. uh, but they missed somebody who brought a and still brings an attitude and a swagger and a kind of a, a, a don't give a damn and right. at the same time, it's a, I'm going to do it to win. And I mm -hmm. want everybody to follow my my lead. And, and maybe it's just a look from him, or maybe it's his actions on the field, or maybe it's standing over a Cardinal pitcher and screaming <laughs> the season, getting uh, the, the suspension. But it's just, it's just a way, and I go back to a, I don't give a damn if, the, if everybody on the other side doesn't like it. It's what is going to energize us, and, and I – I, I love that. And yes. what he's done from a, a hitting standpoint as well, it just it's been amazing to watch from 221 last year to how he's made the adjustments this year and the number of multiple hit games. He's uh he's clearly driving the emotion and the energy mm -hmm. of this team. Well, not only that, is 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 he's also gotten better defensively. Yep. I mean, a lot better defensively because he was not a very good defensive out there. Same thing with Jesse Winker. And I think that's that's rubbed off on on Winker too to to become a more of a professional all around player, you know, to to not only be able to hit but play defense, and that's to me that just that's just stuff that rubs off. And I'm I'm gonna be really 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 irritated if they do not re-sign him. And to me, I, everybody's in it for the money. I'm not gonna say he's gonna turn down you know 100 million dollars or whatever to to go to stay here, but. He wants to win. He said that over and over and over again. To me, the Reds need to show him that they want to win. And that is coming down to this trade deadline and trying to trade, in my opinion, for some bullpen help, at least two arms. And we do have guys that we can dangle out there. I mean, we got Shogo Akiyama, who we're not playing for some reason. We got uh, the Punisher. Uh, those guys could get you some. I, I hate to do it, but uh, Alejo Lopez, the guy we just brought up, we could dangle him out there. I would prefer not to, but like I said, you – like you said, you don't choose when you get a chance to win. Yep. So, well, and and the, and the really frustrating thing is what what you just mentioned in the last sixty seconds involved having to give up players, and that's right. obviously how you make a trade. Had they addressed this during the off season when they had a chance yeah. and, mm -hmm. and used money, currency to do right. it, now you have to give up assets to do it and maybe take on money in the in the process. 
that, that's what was so frustrating in the offseason. And, and, and Nick Kroll's famous line of, we're going to reallocate the money. And, and that was when they <laughs> traded Rysel Iglesias. And I have no problem trading Rysel Iglesias. And, and I, in theory, I, have, I don't have a problem letting Archie Bradley walk. I mean, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to give up two players. I think it was Van Meter and a, and a prospect and having pitched for a, a couple of games in the last couple of weeks of the season, then let him walk. But if you're right. going to do it, it's one thing if you then take the money. And, and the money left over from trading Iglesias and Bradley was around $14 million. And, and that's why it, it infuriated me when Nick Kroll said they were going to reallocate that money. That's just a flat-out lie. They didn't yeah. reallocate the money. The money just wasn't spent. Right. And, and you can take $14 million in this market and buy relief pitchers this past offseason. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have to be talking about what players are you going to give up to get arms that's the real kicker in all this. They had that opportunity and they chose not to do it. And, and for my money, that's irrespons- That's malpractice as an ownership. And a, I was going to say the general manager. It's not his fault that Bob no. tried to do what he did, but yeah. it's, just, it, it's malpractice to do it that way. Right. It, it makes no sense. Well, I mean, just this Cavani, what, what he signed for with the Giants, what, $6 million, $5 yeah. Million? yeah. That's, I mean, that's a lot of money to you or me, but to in baseball for a starting pitcher, that's nothing. I mean, you know, if we could at least just kept the guys we had, you know, cause we had a playoff team and yeah, they barely made the playoffs. And if they didn't let, you know, half the teams in, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs last year, but they did. And, and I understand he claims pandemic, blah, 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 you know, but everybody uh, had that baseball and no team in baseball lost money that I know of. You know, that that's the thing. Look, I, I know the pandemic hit. I, I know all teams felt the crunch. But what I don't understand is, and nobody has been willing to explain this from a Red standpoint, the, the Reds went all in two years ago, boosted the payroll as high as it's ever been, then go through the pandemic, and then claim we're going to have to cut back because we've lost money, and they shaved about $30 million from the payroll. Well, here's the problem. In the previous 14 years of ownership, they had made money every year. When they rebuilt, they shaved the payroll. When they traded the likes of Bruce and Leak and Chapman and Frazier, Cueto, their payroll went down. So they made money all of those years up to the pandemic. They shaved payroll during the rebuild to now claim, well, we're going to have to cut 25 or 30 million from the payroll. It's just disingenuous. It's not, it's, it's not true. You, you could have clearly gone to your investors as ownership and said, look, we need to take a one-year leap of faith. We may have lost some money during the pandemic, but guys, let's remember the value of our franchise has quadrupled since we bought it. And we saved money those other years of rebuilding. And we made money all the other years. We can afford to take a leap of faith and boost this payroll a little bit. Because let's remember, they were a third-place team last year at the end. As you mentioned, they made right. the playoffs because they were expanded. They were mm-hmm. a third-place team. Bauer left. We understand that they yeah. were going to pay him $40 million. But it needed help. You can't walk up to the line, go all in after six years of a rebuild, and then mm-hmm. say, all right, we're good. We're yeah. done after 60 games. Now we're going to shave payroll. It's right. insulting. It's, it, it just it drives me. It, it is the greatest aggravation of an approach to ownership that I can recall because it was there for the taking, and they chose to stand down. And it's just it, – it's not right. No, it's it's not right at all. And, and and I'll go back to a question I got asked yesterday, because every Cincinnati fans always bang on Mike Brown, always bang on Mike Brown, and for for you know good reason, you know. And but it seems like the Reds have always get a pass. But like I said, uh, uh Bob Cassidy bought the team in I think what you say oh six is that when he bought yeah, the team? I think that was first year. All right, so if you go from oh six to now, 
I know neither one of them have won a playoff series or games or any of that stuff. So it, neither one of them have done anywhere close to what we want. But Bob Castle, when he bought the team, I bring him championship baseball back to Cincinnati. When he fired Dusty Baker, I'm just tired of losing. I'm tired of losing. Okay. Well, the Bengals have went to more playoffs than the Reds have. You know, and he's the one that comes out and says he wants to win. He wants to win. He wants to win. All right. So what happened? You did that the last year, you know, two years ago. And then the offseason, ah, you know what? We're good. We're just going to win with this. How? You know, yeah. I, I, that's what I don't get. And, and I know we're <laughs> we're basically saying the exact same thing, but it just drives me nuts. I don't. And you want us as fans to go down there and spend our hard earned money. And trust me, this team is fun to watch. But to go down there and. Once David Bell gets to a point where he has to go to that bullpen, everybody goes, oh. you can just hear the air come out of that stadium, you know, because we all know we have no idea what's going to happen. Well, and here's here's the problem that's developing perception-wise. It used to be on the, on the scale between the two teams. The Reds used to always have the advantage, um, no matter what was happening, because they had history. The Bengals mm-hmm. don't have. The Reds have won world championships. They have legendary players. They have Hall of Famers. Uh, the Reds and had caravans and Reds Fest and retired numbers. They used to have all that as the advantage, and they were right. they were viewed as a much better community partner. They were invested more in the community, and the perception of the Bengals was it was a cold, distant ownership group that was detached from the fans. And they just wanted to make money. Right. Well, now that that scale is tilting to even out a little bit more with what the Bengals have done with the Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. with uh, w- with what they've done with uh, just social media they they were nominated for four emmys last week for how connected they become with the fans new uniforms there's just a lot of things feel good things that the bengals are starting to do and oh by the way i i joke momentum is wearing orange and black in this city and it's a number nine jersey and yes. joe burrow yes, all sir. of that is starting to tilt and for the people who always looked at mike brown bob castellini is such a difference in the two now they're thinking well wait a minute look at all that mike brown is doing and he's got joe burrow mm-hmm. and i think they're turning the eyes to, to bob castellini and saying you know what all that goodwill you were doing is great but how about winning win and yes. that's the challenge to the reds that they have to win exactly it's obviously still the challenge for the bengals <laughs> right. but i'm talking the momentum and the perception is changing between the two ownerships and fans are starting to say why were we cutting Bob Castellini slack for so long? And that's that's a fair that's a fair exactly. point right now. Now, now one thing I, I, now people get on me because I always say I, I look at everything with orange colored sunglasses. But if you look at the Bengals and compare it to the Reds right now, the team wise, I can't. Now there's there's plenty of places the Bengals can can improve on upon their team. They could have done a little more on the offensive line. Could have done a little more like linebacker stuff like that. But there's no gaping hole that I see with the Bengals, that I see <laughs> with the Reds. And then we haven't even talked about the shortstop position. They, you know, they got lucky, and Farmer's been a, a very adequate shortstop. It'd be nice if he hit a little more. But that's where, to me as a fan, I was, I'm was i more excited about the Bengals than I was about the Reds because I knew our bullpen wasn't going to be very good. I knew our defense wasn't, wasn't going to be very good. And that's where another thing is, like, the the, Red, the Bengals are trying to – it feels like the Bengals are not only trying to connect with the, the fans – but they're also trying to win. 
Well, let's understand and realize what the Bengals have done in the last two offseasons. It's been the biggest spending offseasons in free agency in the history of the franchise. They have turned up from the team Zach Taylor inherited. They have turned that over all but a couple of players that are left on, on the roster from the Marvin Lewis days. So there's the, there's the turnover, there's the investment in free agency. And look, I know it, it's it's never going to be apples to apples because it's foot, it's NFL, it's Major League Baseball, it's uh, salary cap, non-salary cap, TV deals. I, I get all that. But the way the Bengals have turned over the roster and up, made attempts to upgrade the last two years in free agency, and they have brought in a guy who the city views as having walked on water uh, and walking on water right now in Joe Burrow, there is clearly a momentum from that standpoint. And I look at it this way. Can you imagine what the reaction would be? You know, Bob Castellini did nothing this offseason. Can you imagine the reaction in this town if after Joe Burrow got hurt, if Mike Brown had chosen to do nothing this offseason, yes. he would have been crushed had he not brought in uh, mm-hmm. the Riley Reefs and, and drafted Jackson Carmen and addressed things offensively. So I, I just I, I think people some tend to, to lose sight of that and just view them through a different lens. And and I, I think the slack and the patience is running out with uh, with fans as it relates to Bob Castellini's approach to this team. Exactly. Uh, uh, before we get totally off the Reds, uh, one of the viewers here has a question for you, and he, Crown Apple Kid, since opening day, has told me that the Reds should bring up Hunter Green. And I'm like, he's not ready. (laughs) He keeps wanting to bring him up and bring him up. I said, my fear is I don't want to bring him up too soon like they did Homer Bailey and hurt him in the long run. I think that's why it took Homer Bailey an extra three or four years to to become a very good pitcher. What's your thoughts on Hunter Green? When do you think they should bring him up? Yeah, I've always said you don't, and I understand he's a he's a, a shiny object that excites people, and they see him as the future mm-hmm. of the franchise, and there's good reason to, to believe that. But you don't promote a prospect out of uh, necessity, out of a failing season. You promote a prospect because he's ready. Mm-hmm. And Hunter Green has pitched, I want to say, right around 50 innings this season. That's it. He didn't right. pitch for two years. He's pitched at double A. He's now pitched at triple A. I think he's made three starts now at triple A. His last start earlier, earlier this week, he threw four and a third innings. He threw 80 pitches. He got in some trouble. It, it all kind of unraveled on him in the fifth inning and his defense didn't help. But what you want to do with a prospect, you want them to answer every challenge. And they challenged him at double A this year. And he answered that challenge and dominated. So what they did was they said, all right, Next challenge, let's give you AAA. When he shows he has dominated that challenge, he'll be here. That may be August. It may be September. It's not right now for a reason, and that's a little bit of pitch efficiency. It's a little bit – you know, Nick Lodolo, the same thing. People get frustrated. Why isn't Nick here? Well, Nick's dealing with a blister. Mm-hmm. you, you got to just slow down. And he He's had a blister develop twice, and he hasn't pitched now in a couple of weeks. It, it can't be the timetable dictated by your standings. It right. has to be – simply by the challenge was answered, what's next for him, and when that happens, I I don't believe it's a service time thing. I know skeptics will say, well, they're not calling up because of service time. I truly believe if they dominate where they are, they will be here for the next challenge, and that might be September. It might be a little bit sooner. I can't wait, but I don't want to rush that. I mean, a perfect example for that is Aleo Lopez. I mean, he dominated in double-A, dominated in triple-A. They brought him up. He was ready to come up. Now, the, th- the thing they have to watch out with him, in my opinion, is getting him at bats. Because what you don't want is him to come up here and yeah. sit on the bench. Yeah. And my personal opinion, to be honest, I love uh, Gino Suarez. I think this is more than just a slump. Because 
he was hitting like this last year. And if you put the 60 games last year and however many, I know they played over 60 games now. So he's played a full year of baseball. And this is what he's been hitting like for a full year of baseball. It's kind of worrying me because players sometimes just lose it. I mean, Kevin Euclid is a prime example for with the Red Sox. He was a great hitter. And then all of a sudden he, he just lost it for no reason. And I have a feeling I'm hope I'm wrong. Cause I, like I said, I love Gino. I have a feeling that this might be what is happening to him. And I'm hoping that they at least keep Lopez consistent at bats. So he doesn't lose his confidence. Doesn't lose the momentum he has built. Yeah. And Suarez is such a, an enigma. I don't know how to explain it. I just know I've always said a slump turns into a trend turns into reality Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned the sample size going back to last year. It's like 135 games now. That's a pretty good indicator of what and who Eugenio Suarez is right now. And, right. and I don't know why, but since 2019 and that breakout season, his batting average has dropped each year. Slugging dropped each year. On base dropped each year. Uh, OPS, is, everything has dropped each year. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's lingering effects of the shoulder and the surgery he had. I don't know if it's the changing game and power pitching and, and, and him not being able to make the adjustments. Um but man, there's they're still there's still three years left on his deal. And they owe him about thirty three million. I think you raise a great point about Lopez. And it's a little bit why I was a little bit surprised they brought him up because when you bring up a prospect, you want to bring him up because he's answered the challenge, as I said, mm-hmm. and because you've got a spot for him. Either you've made a trade to open up a spot for him, or you've got an injury to open up a spot for him. There's not an obvious spot here. So you're right. You don't want to bring somebody up and then have to cool him off by putting him on the bench and giving him scraps every once in a while. Right. I think it'll be very interesting tonight being Friday night as we uh, as we do this, if Lopez is in the lineup for a third straight time or if they go back to Suarez. Remember what they did with Joey Votto last year yes, where the yes. benching was three days and it mm-hmm. seemed to spark Joey a little bit. Maybe that's how David – now, on one hand, you say, how do you bench somebody after four hits last night? Right. On the other hand, I would I would add to, to be fair, um, Lopez got picked off last night. He committed a throwing error last night. Uh, I'm not going to pin a, a double play that he into on him. It, it happens. Yeah. But there were a couple of things that can't happen. The, the throwing error was bad. It led the go-ahead run scoring. The pickoff was bad. Um, so on, from that standpoint, you'd say – Okay, put Suarez back in the lineup. See what he can do. I, I'll be very interested to see which way he goes with the lineup tonight. Where there are, and I'll make a, I'll make another argument as I'm thinking about it. You remember India made the diving play behind second yes, base the and shoulder, mm-hmm. the shoulder a little bit. I wonder they tend to err on the side of caution with stuff like that. I wonder if they don't say, you know, let's give it a day to settle down. We'll put Lopez at second and we'll put Suarez back at third base and go from there. Um, I don't know. I can't wait to find out though. Yeah, that's a very, very uh, interesting observation. Yeah, you, I forgot about uh, India's shoulder last night because, I mean, he seemed like he had no ill effects afterwards. Right. right. But now, the thing that always cracks me up is is Reds fans, and I think Major League Baseball fans are, are all do this. It's like, well, Gino's not go, doing good. Well, let's just trade him. You know, let, let's just trade him. You know, let's go get, you know, this great reliever. I'm like, that's not the way this works. You know, he's, like you said, he's got a, a, a not a terrible contract. It's actually a right. pretty good contract. Right. But he's still under contract. For another couple of years, so he's not hitting. Yeah, nobody's going to trade yeah. for him. And, you know, and I, I always say when, and I I love trade talk, but I always tell people 
before you get into trade talk, just reverse the roles and imagine you're sitting at a table and I want the, the fan or the, 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 the caller to get up and go to the other side of the table. Right. And if you want to trade a player, why do you think the other team would want that player? Because right. most of the reaction is that guy's terrible trading. All right. Well, if he's terrible, then chances are the other team knows he's terrible. So who's, who's saying like, we must have a Suarez <laughs> trade to us now. We yeah. love it. So, right. The, always caution from, from that standpoint, and I, I I wonder why anybody would want Suarez right now. It's the same thing you mentioned, Akiyama. In mm -hmm. a perfect world, Akiyama would right. be playing, and he'd be an extra part you could afford to get rid of. If I'm another team, I'm looking at, and to be fair, if I'm another team, I'm looking at Akiyama saying, all right, he's got another year at $7 million on his deal. He struggled. He's not playing every day. He's not hitting the ball real hard. So why would I trade for an extra outfielder who's a good defensive player and mm -hmm. get you what you need because he's not going to give me a whole lot in return right now? Right, right. So from, from this discussion we, we just had, to me, that makes it sound like uh, Alejo Lopez is the best guy to dangle out there, which I'd hate to do it. Yeah. But if that's what you have to – That's that's the cards they're dealt – you might have to do that. You might, and that may be why they brought him up. You never know to show, hey, he can hit, he can play third base, and then maybe tonight, like you said, maybe he plays second so he can show his versatility. I mean, that might be your best trading option to get somebody. Now, they also sent um, uh, uh, Santion back down there, and he is going to be in the bullpen, which I kind of find kind of curious as to why they just didn't move him into the bullpen. Why did he have to go down to the minors to be? put in the bullpen, you know? I think ultimately the 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 easiest answer to that is, if you remember going back two nights ago, they used seven relievers in the game. Mm -hmm. And that was the night that Santian pitched. Right. So Santian wasn't going to be able to pitch for a couple of days anyway. So I think they looked at it as, we need bullpen help. Tony's not going to be available for a couple of days. Let's send him to the minors so we can bring up a reliever to have mm -hmm. as a fresh arm. And then ultimately, I, I think when 10 days are up, Santian will be back here. Once you go down, you have to be down there for 10 days. Right. I think they'll bring him back up in 10 days in a pitch from the bullpen. And if he can give them multiple innings out of the pen, this team really doesn't have a long reliever in the bullpen who on a night where your starter goes out yeah. after this, this team innings. doesn't. This team doesn't have anything in the bullpen, yeah. let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, with, with Anton and Sims out, we have nothing yeah. in the bullpen. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, the, that's the challenge night in and night out. That's why I always you – know, I call it counting outs. Whenever the red starter goes out, I always think, all right, how are they going to cover nine outs tonight or 12 <laughs> right. outs tonight or, heaven forbid, 15 outs tonight? And it's I, – I can't imagine some nights if you're David Bell and Derek Johnson, you're probably talking with each other going, how are we going to do this? And you're looking out at the bullpen and you're looking at each other and saying, I don't know how we're going to – I don't know who we're going to trust enough to hand these outs. And that's the reality of the, the Reds' bullpen, right? Yeah, it's probably paper, rock, rock scissors. Let's, let's <laughs> you know, let's, let's see who, who, who we get tonight. Now, um, that, that's the other thing that, that I think has been very – I don't want to say overlooked – but this is what has to happen for you to have a, a championship run. And that is rookies, young guys stepping up like yep. we've talked about. And one of the big ones that Troy stepped up to, for us is Gutierrez. Yep. Now, my personal opinion is I think he has pitched well enough to stay in the starting rotation. How do you feel about, about him? Do you think he's going to stay? Are they going to move him? What, what, cause um, 
I always mess the pitcher's name up. It's that Hoffman. Uh, yeah, Hoffman. Yeah, because Hoffman, okay. Hoffman will be up probably this weekend. But I, I think in the in the perfect world, he's going to go to the bullpen mm -hmm. and be a guy who can offer multiple innings in relief if needed. And, and I think Gutierrez, I, I would agree with you. I think he's earned the right to stay in this rotation. It uh, it impresses me how he approaches the game. He doesn't get rattled. There's a lot of rookies who get into trouble and then they kind of curl up in the fetal position. They don't know how to get out of it and things unravel. He kind of stands there on the mound. Not kind of. He does. He stands on the mound like he's aware of what's going on. Um, he takes a deep breath and says, all right, I got myself into trouble. Now I'm going to get myself out of trouble. Mm -hmm. He's not perfect. There, there's uh, He runs into some issues. His pitch count gets up. But I like the fact that he um, he's pitched into trouble and pitched himself out of trouble. And I, I think they – Sonny's coming back tonight, uh, Friday night. I, I think they roll with Gutierrez in there as well, and I, I think he's earned the opportunity to keep pitching and keep learning. That's the important thing. Keep learning with each start. Yeah, good, Gutierrez competes. That that's yes. what, what I I love yep. about it. And, and uh, the Cowboy Jeff Brantley says that a lot. You have to you have to have a a level of co competitiveness yep. to pitch at, at this at this level. And Even, I, think I, he I has go it. back to his debut, and that's a great point because his debut in Wrigley, if you remember, yes. it was cold, it was mm -hmm. windy, it was miserable, and that didn't phase him. And then I think his next start may have been the Cardinals, and he got into some trouble in that game, but it never phased him. And, and that's a big thing with the makeup of a pitcher, Tyler. Matt Allie will tell you um, things used to snowball on him. He yes. would get into trouble in the big leagues, and he didn't know how to get out of them. And, and he's even made the point that Derek Johnson has saved him because he was lost. Mm -hmm. and it was a confidence thing. He'd get into trouble, and he didn't know what to do with it, and he started questioning himself. And, and now he doesn't do that. And Tyler will have a little blips of trouble, but, man, he can get out of a situation. And that's the difference between being a starting pitcher who can only give a team – three and two-thirds innings or four and a third innings and a guy who can get into the sixth inning maybe mm -hmm. beyond because they figure out, all right, things are sideways, but here's how I'm going to get them back to the the, the, the path to uh, to another inning of, of action. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, well, where would this team be without Tyler Miley? Where would this team be without Wade Miley? Because I'll be honest with you, Lance, I wasn't a Wade Miley fan. I mean, yeah. uh, for what I saw last year, I'm like, he's he's done. I'm like, why? We don't, he's not going to do anything for us. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> he has been a godsend to us. If if it wasn't for Tyler Malley and Wade Miley in, in April and June, we wouldn't be anywhere close. I mean, I know we're eight games out now, but <laughs> we wouldn't have been anywhere close to this. We could have been 15 games out. You know? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, if you remember, uh, you know, the frustration with my last year and the hamstring and the injuries, and you're thinking this guy can't do anything. And if I had a dollar for everybody who said they should just release him in the offseason, I have a big stack of dollars. Right. But he's a veteran. He's a left-hander. Um, we, we know he pitches quickly, and I think that rubs off on some guys who say, look, look how he's doing it. I'm going to try to do that a little bit. And, and he's a um, he, he's just a wily veteran who knows that there's throwing and there's pitching. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young guys, when they come up, they, they just throw, just rear back, throw it as hard as I can, and hopefully uh, get him out. He's a he's a pitcher. Uh, I like watching him work through a lineup and from one pitch to the next. And, and I think, especially on a team with some some younger guys, I think that rubs off on him. I, I think there's great value in, in, in Wade Miley offering that to this team. Absolutely, and and that that brings you to another thing. I just thought, popped in my head. I, I watch a lot or listen to a lot of podcasts and Jim day did a podcast or does his podcast. And he had Jesse Winker on there and he was, had a comment where he was talking about how Wade Miley last year. I can't exactly remember the comment, but, but gave him some words of wisdom, you know, to, to, to how, how to be a professional baseball player and stuff and stuff like that. 
that helps mo out more than people realize. And Jesse Winker credits Wade Miley for changing his approach, changing the way he he treats people in, in baseball. So that's another thing where Wade Miley doesn't get the credit. Not long, only has he been a, a very good pitcher for the Reds, but he's a very good guy in the clubhouse. You, uh, you've hit on a great point, and, and the intangibles of this team, um, as you were telling that story, I, I think of Nick Castellanos a couple of starts ago for Vladimir Gutierrez. He got in trouble early. He'd given up a run in the first inning. He, I think he'd hit a batter, a couple of hits, and as he walked into the dugout, he threw his mitt. And as the story was related, um, Nick Castellanos walked up to him, and basically it was a calm down, you got this, I want you to go seven innings. And it was the reaction was, yeah, okay, okay. And Nick kind of reinforced it. No, I want you to tell me you're going to give me seven innings. And right. Vladimir Gutierrez said, I'm going to give you seven innings. And that's a veteran presence. That's something so simple and yet so powerful. And I'll give you another one last night. And I think it speaks volumes to the relationship with Tucker Barnard and Tyler Stevenson. Tyler delivers the game-winning hit last night. The yep. first player over the railing and onto the field to celebrate with him was Tucker Barnhart. Yep. Tucker Barnhart's the guy who's watching the evolution of Tyler Stevenson, who the better he gets, the more playing time he's going to take away from Tucker Barnhart. And right. yet Tucker wasn't sulking in the dugout or feeling sorry for himself. He was leading the charge over the railing to go hug Tyler Stevenson. And I'll give you one more. When Farmer hit the home run, I saw a photo this morning in the dugout. It was Suarez hugging yes. Farmer. Yes. And Farmer had the biggest smile on his face. And you have Suarez, who's not even in the game, who's hitting 173, who's been benched for two straight nights. Was he feeling sorry for himself? Was he sulking in the corner of the dugout? No, he was hugging Kyle Farmer after he had tied the game in the ninth inning. And again, stuff like that speaks volumes about, one, the intangibles offered by veterans, and two, how well the 26 pieces fit together on this baseball team. Yes, and that goes to how frustrating it is yep. that we have a bullpen. Because yep. <laughs> like, ah, those are things that you need and you want for championship baseball, and we have it. Ah, we have one big gaping hole. All right, we're, we're, let's transition to the Bengals talk here. I know uh, I, we, we've uh, pretty much ran the gauntlet on the uh, on the Reds here, but uh, a crypt keeper here had a, a question. That I, I, I don't know how you answer this, but can you please tell us uh, – why we don't have an indoor practice facility, I guess, means for the Bengals. Yeah, um, man, that question. I, I've been back in town for 24 years, and that has been uh, uh, the the ever-asked question. Just It's a continual cycle of conversation every year. Um, I, I, I've always said this. I get the notion of, hey, you, you're in bad weather, so if you're going to play in bad weather, you might as well practice in bad weather. I'll go back to something as simple as this. It's an arms race in the NFL. What everybody else has, you have to have. If teams around the NFL have practice facilities that are indoor, then the Bengals should have an indoor practice facility. Right. If right. you want to bottom line it as simple as the arms race of recruiting free agents and being able to say, hey, they have indoor. Look, we have an indoor. I, I, I refer to John Thornton, um, former Bengal and yes. a friend of mine, who used yes. to always say, the downside of practicing on a day where it was five below or there was six inches of snow on the ground, you'd have to get so bundled up just to practice in the ridiculous weather. He always said they were they were like um, the abominable snowman just waddling around. You couldn't get anything done. You were so bundled up. He right. said if you had an indoor, you were able to get your work done inside. Mm -hmm. right. Yes, it was getting out of the elements and, man, you're going to have to play in them. So how are you going to get used to them? But he said people don't understand 
you you got so little done on a bad weather day of practice that if you just had an indoor facility, you could go in there and get your work done and be ready for the Sunday game. And I think it's as simple as if everybody else has one, why would you not want to have one? Right. I, people have downplayed it over the years and said, oh, you guys make too big a deal of an indoor practice facility. I don't think we make a big enough deal from that simple standpoint. Right. You should be able to show the other teams in the NFL or the other players in the NFL and free agency and your own players, we realize we're behind on the times, we're going to catch up, and we're going to get an indoor practice facility. Exactly. Now, I, I have a question because this is this is a rumor I, I heard that the Bengals had bought the concrete place, you know, right right across the street yes. from them. I thought they bought that a couple of years ago. I, my I thought that's where they might possibly put a practice facility, which I don't know if they have enough room there because the bridge is right there. But yeah. I, have you heard anything about that? Am I? Am I? Am yeah, I you're, I, I, I've heard something. I, I don't know if that's the case. I've heard something similar. And, and there is a key point here of if you're going to build an indoor, where is that indoor going to be? That, that, that's a that's a fair point. Um, I always go back to just the visual of you remember the times where the Bengals have actually gotten on a bus and driven to Clifton yes. and used UCs. And to me, just as I say that out loud, it sounds so rinky-dink and ridiculous. And that's not a <laughs> knock on UC. They yeah. have an indoor bubble that they inflate. It's just right. the thought of a, of a professional football player grabbing his stuff and, guys, let's get on the bus, and we're going to travel through traffic through the city in, in blinding snow conditions, so we're going to go to somebody else's indoor facility who happens to be a college program right. because we don't have our own. It's just it's silly as I say it out loud like that. Well, well, how hard is it? And I, I, I don't know. How hard is it to have an inflatable dome or whatever go over top of the practice facility they already have? I don't Well, I, I and to that I would say if UC has figured out how to inflate theirs, then the Bengals <laughs> damn well better be able right. to figure out how to inflate theirs. And if not, then ask somebody from UC to come over and start blowing up the Bengals uh, <laughs> double. I mean, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. <laughs> Like a tire pump for a, for a bike. <laughs> I mean, look, what are we talking here? Right, right, exactly. Right, shoot, I'll go down and do it for him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, let's get, get into some more Bengals talk here. What What is your feeling on Zach Taylor? And I, I call him Lou Armadillo because i just being silly and – I'm not. I'm not sold on him as a defensive coordinator. Now, I think he has the best chance to accomplish what he's trying to do this year with with the talent and the players that the Bengals have this year. But you know, everybody says this. Is a, I, I agree with it. To make it a break it year for Zach and and Lou. Yeah. But I think is if the offense scores forty points a game and the defense gives up fifty, I think you're firing Lou. Obviously, what what do you think the chances are? How how sturdy is Zach in his position and 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 Lou, we're, 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 what's your opinion on this two right now? I, I think it's uh, I think it's fair to say it's shaky ground for both. I mean, let, let's be realistic. They're they're uh, Zach is what six twenty five and one in two years, and consider what they've done the last two off seasons. They've allowed him to almost completely and totally remake this roster from the one he inherited, which is good. And you understand that if you're a new coach, you've got new, a new coaching staff, your set of eyes and your philosophy and system needs players that fit that. And for two years, this team has spent big in the offseason and free agency, and they've now given them the pieces. 
If they can't put those pieces in place and win, and I mean win early in the season, not in the back half of the season after a slow start, then I don't know how you trust either one of them to continue because I, and I'm going to say this a lot this season. If you put your ear to the ground and take a listen, you should hear a ticking noise like a tick, <laughs> tick, tick. And that ticking noise is Joe Burrow's rookie contract. Yes, and the yes. reality is when you draft a quarterback as high as you drafted Joe Burrow, the window that is presented by a rookie contract, meaning the flexibility on the salary cap to address the rest of the team before Joe's contract becomes $30 million a year or $40 million a year, the, the neighborhood of uh, Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers or Dak mm -hmm. Prescott, somebody like that, you have to make hay in the window of a rookie contract. And we're now moving into year two of that rookie contract. So you can't punt this season. You can't right. say, well, we tried. We were a little bit better. We went from four wins to six wins. I'm sorry. That can't be the philosophy this season. It is go time for this team. And that means it's go time for Zach and it's go time for Lou Anarumo. Look how many new players Lou has on this defense. Look how many players they've changed out. Don't like him. Bring in this guy. We didn't like him. Bring in this guy. Well, you got all those guys in here. Uh, go tackle somebody, go <laughs> right. sack somebody, right. go recover a fumble, and, and go uh, go pick off a pass. Make something happen defensively for this team. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. And, and by the way, just to let you know, uh, we refer to him as Jackpot Joey Burrow on my show. Ah, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> I have so, one of those shirts. Those are cool shirts. Yeah. You have one or you need one? I, I can get you one. I you have one, one. Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I got a couple of them. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and the thing is, People and I'll go back to what you say. You don't want to punt on this coming upcoming season, and that's where I'm like, I agree with you. We got three years where I think we have all of our young weapons signed. Yep. It's time now, starting this year. Now, and a lot of people are going, oh, you know, a lot of so-called experts like 2022 is a better shot of the Bengals doing something. Which I agree, it's a better shot. They're going to be, you know, we're going to add more pieces. You know, they're going to be a year longer into the system and everything. But I want to. They need to do it now. Because the whole point and the way NFL is set up right now with the rookie contracts, like you said, with the quarterbacks, you only got a short window. And it's and like you said, it's now. It, and it starts this year. And I think the Bengals, for the most part, it, believe that it, that it starts this year. And for them to have 100% participation yep. in the OTAs, I think that's the only team in the NFL that did that. That, to me, shows a lot that this team not only believes in Zach, they also believe in Lou. You know, and yep. for as many free agents at, as that they got to come to Cincinnati, obviously it's about the money, of course. But if these free agents don't believe in what Lou is trying to get them to do, they're not going to come here. I don't care how much money they pay because football players are looking for their next contract, you know. So the, and these guys are all in their prime. So these players that they have, like you said, they re, they re overhauled the, the everybody from, from when Marvin, yeah. Marvin was here. These players believe in Zach and Lou, and I'm excited for the season. Well, and to me, it's it's year three. And I'm sorry if you're a new coach who's taken over in year three. You have to have a you have to be a winning coach, a winning team. And it is not my fault they won four games last year. Winning team this year is nine wins. That's nine and eight. And that's that's the 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 floor, the 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 basement. I mean, you you have to clear that bar to me. You have to be a winning team in year three. It's yes. not my fault that that means you have to make a sizable jump from four wins last year to nine this year. It's not my fault they expanded to a seventeen game season. Um, nine is winning. In year three, if you're if you're not winning, 
you're losing. And this this franchise your <laughs> handle on losing. So in Joe Burrow's second season and in Zach Taylor's third season, I sorry if nobody likes this or if it's too much pressure on everybody. You got to win in year three, and if exactly. you're not winning, then you're losing, and that's that's unacceptable from where I sit. Yeah, that that's where I'm at, and that's where I I expect them to win. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's put up or shut up time, and and to, to quote the uh, uh, great the Talladega Knights. If you're not first, you're last. That's right. <laughs> so, well, we've been on almost an hour. I got like 10 more minutes, and you said you give me an hour. So I want to get to your broadcasting career because this is some of the stuff that we were talking about before the show. Now, I started to listen to you. I think you came back in 1996, about the time 90, you – 97, yeah. 97, okay, 97 you came back. And that was on – well, first it was a score, 1160. Oh, and yeah. then <laughs> And then they changed it to Bob, 1160. And I remember going, why in the hell did they name it that? <laughs> you know, and, and I remember, and we were talking off air, I remember when we were first told at a meeting that's what we were changing the name to. And ultimately it becomes about branding and name recognition. And we joked off air, it must have worked because this many years later, we were still remember, Bob, turn your knob to Bob. <laughs> yep. um, so it's burned into our head. But that first day sitting in the meeting at the station, we're around this big table in a conference room and, all right, beginning tomorrow, you know, a new change. We're going to be known as Bob, 1160 Bob, turn your knob to Bob. And I remember laughing and like looking around the room and nobody else in, in position of power was laughing because they were serious. And I kind of slumped down on the chair. I said, all right, I guess it's not a joke. I guess we really are 1160 Bob, turn your knob to Bob. Right. And uh, that took some getting used to, but yeah. uh it's certainly got staying power because we're talking about it 24 years later. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Those, those are the back in the good old days. You had Bob Trumpy, uh, the, the godfather, as you, yep. you call him. And he is the godfather yep. of sports talk radio here in Cincinnati. He was on in the mornings. And then for some reason, they, they put two crazy men with him, the two anger guys. So it was yes. Bob Trumpy and two two uh, the two anger guys. You yep. had, had the, the dog, big yep. dog, Tim Lewis. Yep. Yep. I used to love when you guys would because you were on before. I think it was you were yep. first, and then and then Tim Lewis, and you guys would do a little talking in between the shows or whatever. And oh, and, yes. and he was, I remember, I remember this. He was a, a Jazz fan. Oh, you, yes. came, you just came back from Chicago, so you're a big Bulls fan. Yep. This is '98, so it was the the Jazz and the and the Bulls were in the uh, finals. And I, I was, a, I'm a Jordan fan to the day I die. He's not. He is the greatest player I've ever seen in my lifetime. I don't care about Kobe or any of that stuff. Well, and we had to. It's funny you bring that up because in those two years, the Bulls and Jazz played in the finals. We made bets on the air, and, yes. and we bet in earring, yep. and we bet fingernail polish. Yep. And one year, Tim, after the Jazz lost, had to get an ear, had to have an earring put in. It was live on the air. Yep. I'll never forget the sound of the staple gun shooting into his ear, and the big dog going ah. And then the next time we bet, it was you had to paint your fingers in, in, in fingernails in the colors of that team, the other team's colors. So Tim Lewis had to walk around with fingernail polish of red and white bulls uh, logos on his fingernails for a, like a month or so after that. Those, those are the days we would go round and round. Yeah, I was on ten to one. I think he, Tim was one to four, and then Lap and Fish were four yeah. to seven. Man, oh man. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Then, then you uh, transitioned the the you guys. They got rid of it. They, they lost yep. the Bengals, so I think that's pretty much what ended Bob. Yeah, and then you went to uh, it was thirteen sixty. Yep, it was it was it was uh, the sports animal. That's what it was. Yes, yes. The sports animal had you and the two angry guys, and I think you had Jim Rome. I think in the yeah, mid yeah. I think which. I'm not a big Jim Rome fan, so I'll listen to something else. But I was, I was like, listen, that's when you transitioned to the afternoon spot. 
And then it switched to 1530 ESPN. Uh, and and Mo's been there forever now, it seems like. Mo's pretty much the voice of, of uh, 1530 now because you've transitioned to 700 and Sports Talk. You've been there, I think, over 10 years now. Is that right? Yeah, I, um, I, I've been total on the iHeart Clear Channel Media. It's been about 21 years. And, and as you've run through, I've done afternoons. I've done Sports Talk. I um, want to say I've done Sports Talk for 12 years. I'll never forget when they came to me initially – they said, we'd like you to do sports talk. We'd like you to continue to do the afternoons. And I said, well, that's great. I said, how's that going to work? And they said, well, on, on days the Reds play, you'll do the afternoon show on 1530. Then you can do the inside pitch at night on 700. And on the night the Reds don't play, you'll just do sports talk on 700. So I did that for a number of years. And finally, once my kids grew up, I, I said to them, and, and the bonus for me was being done at 630 at night was I got to be home to see my kids play soccer and baseball. And it was perfect right, right. because they've grown up. Um, I think it was three years ago. I went to them and said, look, I said, I'd really like to, with my kids done, I said, I'd like to kind of streamline this and just do 700 and I'll do the inside pitch and I'll do extra innings. I, I love the Reds coverage and the pregame and the postgame. So I gave up the afternoon show. And honestly, it's been perfect for me because I really enjoy being the first voice to set up the Reds game at six o'clock with the pregame show and the last voice you hear wrapping up extra innings at midnight when I sign off. So I get to set up the game then I get to follow along with the game, and then I get to take calls and reaction after the game. And that um, it, during baseball season is I, I'm living the dream from that standpoint. That if you gave me a piece of paper and said write down what you want to do, that would have been exactly what I wanted to do. Out of season, I do sports talk six to nine, and it's the uh, it's the best gig going because I get to talk about the teams I grew up with. Yeah, I mean, getting to that, did did you ever think you know back in the day when you used to call in and argue with with Bob Trumpy? Oh that- yeah. That that one day you Lance McCowers should be sitting in that exact same chair doing that exact same show. Did you ever think it would actually happen? You know, it's it's funny. Back when we were in high school, I uh, I wrote down for the friends I ran around with, uh, Brad Berry and Brent Maurer and Gary Hamblin. I wrote out all of our uh, bios into the future and predicted what everybody would be doing. And when I wrote mine down, I wrote down I would be doing sports talk back in Cincinnati where I grew up, and um, I. I I think every night when I sit down in the chair, how lucky I am to be sitting in a chair, although the station and the location has changed over the years, I'm sitting in the spot and the microphone comes on. I'm hosting a show that Bob Trumpy, a legend did, that Andy Furman, that Chris Collinsworth, that Tom Gamble, that Paul Doherty. I mean, the the heritage of that station, 700 WLW, and the history of it, the fact that I've been doing it as long as I have, and I'll do it as long as they want me to, to do it. Um, I try not to lose sight of that. And every night when the microphone goes on, I think, God, I am living a dream tonight. <laughs> yeah, I I, I I feel the exact same way doing my silly little YouTube podcast here because, I mean, it's something that, you know, I set out to do. Now, my path was different. It didn't work out exactly the way I wanted it to, but it doesn't always work out for everybody. But that's the way I feel about doing this show. And I thoroughly enjoy I've always enjoyed listening to you because you bring a different voice I think because a lot of Cincinnati sports talk I think is very negative a lot of guys have been, have been negative and and you you are down on them but I think you give them a fair shake and that's that's in my opinion that's all you can ask for I don't want to hear all the down and dreariness and you know but I don't want you to puff smoke up my butt saying everything's roses and I think you do a very Good job of doing that that fine line in, in, to to run that fine line in between 
happiness and, and sadness, you know, of, of where sports fans should be. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot because it is – I've always asked um, when, when, like, high school students will interview me for a project or something, they'll I, I'll invariably get what's the toughest part about the job. And I say, well, one, ultimately it's not tough because I, I love what I'm doing. So it's not a job to me. I'd be talking sports anyway. Um, the, the only downside is how negative the medium is, and it's – it's the it's as simple as if you go to a restaurant, get a nice steak. Rarely do you walk back to the kitchen and compliment the chef. If the steak is not done well, you'll raise hell about that. Right. Uh, people don't report on, you know, there, there's a saying in the industry, if it bleeds, it leads when it right. comes to TV news. I just I, I get that. And I get that negativity sells. It just wears me down. I'm an optimistic person by nature. I reserve the right to be critical and, and complain when it's warranted, but I kind of equate it to the manager um, in terms of if you're a manager, if you rant and rave all the time, then your message gets lost in the translation. If you're someone who does your thing and then on occasion raises the voice or kicks and screams, it carries more weight. And I've always said, if you are, if you're a team playing well, I'm going to say you're playing well. I'm going to be excited about that because mm -hmm. this is my town that I grew up in. I love that. If you're not playing well, I'm going to get sideways about that and raise my voice about that. Yep. But I think as long as I'm fair in doing it and and do it when it's warranted, I, I would I would hope in the 21 years I've been back in town, I would hope this comes through. One, I love what I'm doing because I grew up in this town. I'm invested in these teams. And two, I'm going to be fair. And I tried to learn that in Chicago when I first got into the business. And I've tried to learn it. I've talked with Marty Brenneman about this over the years. And Marty has always said, you know, when they're playing well, I say they're playing well. When they're playing poorly, I, I say they're playing poorly. And he says, that's that's fair. That's how it should be done. Right. I've always learned you don't have to be personal. Um, you can be critical without being personal. If I can't find a way to be critical without tapping into and being personal about somebody's pick it their their appearance or their family or whatever it is to me that that's just it cheapens what the the business is right. so I, I try to keep it above board but I think if you would ask I hope if you would ask owners and general managers and front office people and uh, organizational people in this city I would I would hope they say you know what he might be hard on us but we've earned it from him because we haven't been playing well when he's been hard on us. At the same time, when we play well, we know he's going to say we play well. And that's that's one of the biggest compliments I can get. Yeah, exactly. And, and you you come, come through as a fan. And that's one thing that I think it's lost sometimes that, that everybody always – well, we have to be professional. You have to be – you have to toe the line. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, it's – sports media guys like well i don't i'm not a fan of any team anymore i'm like well you used to be i mean i'm a fan like i said i'm a fan of the reds i love the reds i love the bearcats i love this city you know so i that comes out in what you project on your shows and i think that's why people love listening to you and and that's what i try to do well but there, there's there's two 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 of the rules i've always lived by one if i'm not excited about what i'm talking about why would anybody be excited to listen to me mm -hmm. so um I, I'm always going to bring the energy because I love what I'm doing. Two, I've worked in other cities. I, I've been fortunate to work in South Bend. I've worked in Chicago. I've worked in Indianapolis. I have no emotional connection to those teams. It was a job. At the right. end of the night, Chicago is supposed to be one of the destination points in this business. Man, if you can get to Chicago or L.A. or Boston or New York, man, you are – 
I was in Chicago. It's a great city. I, I, I wouldn't want to live there now. It's too big for me. Yeah. I don't have an investment in those teams. At the end of the night, whether the Bulls or Bears or Blackhawks or Cubs or White Sox won or lost, at the end of the night when I went home, it really didn't matter to me. Here, I think if somebody listens, they know win or lose what's happening to the Reds and the Bengals and the, and the local teams, UC, Xavier, NKU, FC, Cincinnati. What is happening matters to me, and I hope that bleeds through the microphone. And sometimes I do lose my mind. There are times where I'll go to a break and I'll be sweating, and my producer will look at me from the other side of the glass and he'll say, are you all right? I'll, I'll, I'll take a minute and i say, I think, but I'm not sure. Well, that's, <laughs> that's I go about my pacemaker firing. I do have a pacemaker, and I get really worked up sometimes. But I, I hope people know it comes from a place of genuine excitement mm -hmm. and passion about what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah, I was about to mention your pacemaker. Right? You, all, you always say that. Let's get one one uh, question in here from the viewers here, and I will let you go, and I appreciate your time. Uh, Anton wants to know, what is your prediction on our record this year? And, and he's talking about the Bengals. Well, I'm, um, I, 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 I've said 9-8 and eight is, is what has to happen to be acceptable to me. I think ultimately this is a team, if you told me they, they finished somewhere between seven and nine wins – I think that's a blanket I could throw over that of three games. I think if they maybe get a break along the way, maybe another team's injuries or a fumble goes their way late in the game, I think it kind of tips one way or another uh, to seven or up to nine. And for the sake of the Bengals and Zach Taylor and, and Bengals fans, I hope it tips up to nine. But I, I think it's it's in that ballpark. It's going to be that type of team this season, somewhere in the, the seven, eight, nine, which – probably lands us right in the middle of uh, eight. And and that's no fun because, because eight isn't even in the middle anymore with 17 games. So it better tilt up one to nine. Right. And uh, everybody will have reason to, to believe this is headed in the right direction. Well, people call me crazy. Cause, and like I said, I look at everything through orange sunglasses. I got them going 11 and six. And I know that's, oh, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, that's a big get, but I think we got the best quarterback in every game we play. And I'll put it this way in 90% of the games we play. And if our defense can do anything like the 05 defense did. Yep. You know, they weren't great, but they were very opportunistic. And you know what happened in 05? Well, we all talk about the end of it, but the season was great. So anyway, Lance, well, I think ultimately the, the start of this season will dictate the way this season yes. goes. Yes. If, it, it, I always refer to the 90 Reds. Nobody saw that coming. Nope. If you if you win early, that feeling can take you places you never thought you'd go as a team. I'm talking from a player standpoint, and you start to believe, mm -hmm. and and I think that that's a magic elixir for a team. Uh, it was like that for the '99 Reds, and, yeah. and I think if they feel it and 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 breathe it early in this season, it can take them. Uh, it can take them places maybe uh, everybody doesn't expect. Yeah, I mean, that happened for the Reds this year. We got to yeah. a seven-one start. Now, then we turn around, and lost seven out in California. But anyway, anyway, Lance, I could keep talking to you for for two hours. I appreciate you coming on the show. And just you know, give your Twitter handle. I'm sure everybody watching knows where it is, but where they can follow you and everything, your blog and all that stuff. I am uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Lance McAllister. I have a blog at 700wlw.com, and I can be heard nightly at six o'clock on 700wlw and through the iHeartRadio app. And the beauty of the iHeartRadio app is, if you miss the show, if you can't stay up uh, up to midnight to to listen to uh, extra innings, it's always available for you uh, the next morning on your way into work or at lunch hour. And the beauty of it is you can listen on uh, your time because I, I always say this and it's true and you know this it's a tough ask to expect somebody especially for what I do six to nine it's a tough mm -hmm. ask to say hey find your radio six to nine when I was a kid growing up if I wanted to hear Bob Trumpy 
I had to go to the radio at six o'clock to hear yep. Bob Trumpy. Yep. We're in a day and age where our lives move so quickly and there's so much going on. You can't, it's not fair to say to somebody, hey, if you want me, you have to find me at six and listen till nine. The beauty of podcasting and just the way the medium is gone, you can do it on your time. And it's mm-hmm. lunch, a workout, stuck in traffic, uh, mowing your yard. You can listen to the podcast then. So um, exactly. it's, uh, it's amazing where the industry is going. And, and I'll say this in, in conclusion, just to, to wrap it up. Again, it means a lot. You asked me to be on this. And I I marvel, I, and I'm, I mean this sincerely, I marvel at what you've built. Um, this wasn't something you inherited from somebody. This was something you kind of put the sweat equity into and said, I'm going to do this. And, and I think you would even admit in the early stages, there were areas of this you really had no idea what you were doing. You <laughs> yeah. figured out what you were doing right. and what you've put together on a daily basis. I hope people uh, understand how difficult it is to do so. Everybody can do something once a week. You're doing something on a daily basis, and, and I think you're doing And I don't mean this just to suck up to you. You're doing a hell of a job with it, and congratulations. Well, I appreciate it, Lance, and, and I don't I don't think you're sucking up to me. I'm just a guy with YouTube channels. Like, I, there, I, there's no reason to suck up to me, but I appreciate it, and I appreciate you coming on the show. And all my listeners appreciate you coming on the show. They, they listen to you on iHeartRadio because uh, Anton actually is in Texas. He was on my show yesterday. Nice. So he listens to you on there. So anyway, Lance, I appreciate it. We'll definitely have to do this again sometime. And have a great day. Hey, you as well. Have a great weekend. And I'd uh, I'd love to come back and do it again. All right, buddy. Happy fourth. You too. All right. That was really cool. I was one of my, like I said, that's a guy that, that like I said, he helped me out a ton when I started doing this. I mean, I, I, I knew him from a little bit from before, had some run-ins with him. So I had a slightly, little bit of a relationship with him before. And when I started doing my silly videos, which I call them silly, because at first, like you said, I had no clue what I was doing. You know, I went to radio school and all that stuff, but that was back in the 90s. And it's completely different now. I mean, now we got computers and digital recording. Back when I learned how to do it, it was real, real. And it was just radio. The internet was just in its infancy. We had no podcasts. We had nothing like that. So I started doing these videos and I sent them to Lance and he'd critique him and tell me I could do this or I could do that a little better. And he wasn't mean about it. He was nice about it. I greatly appreciate him encouraging me because I don't care what you say. You can get on here and talk in front of a camera, talk in front of people. It ain't easy, <laughs> you know? And, you, and I basically talked to myself for an hour, you know? I mean, I know you guys are on the comments and I appreciate you guys doing that. So I just, it's, if, if Lance, you're still watching, I really do appreciate what you've done for me. And thanks again. So anyway, let's get to the YouTube or not the YouTube, but the uh, Facebook groups. That let me live stream on their groups. I appreciate every single one of them. And if you guys have not joined their groups, I recommend you join them. They are Hootay Nation, Bengals Nation, Bengals Hootay Nation, Cincinnati Bengals The Jungle, Bearcat Country, Ohio State Bucknuts, The Ice Bar. You can check that. That's my show page. You, had, uh, my, you can follow me on all my social media platforms, all under sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, my Twitter handle is Jeff A. Trenopol. That's T-R-E-N-N-E-P-O-H-L. I'm also on TikTok. You can follow me there, at Iceman90. Like Lance says, he does a podcast. This is a po- YouTube channel and podcast, so the podcast will be going up later on today. Uh, it'll be on BeanPod, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, pretty much wherever you get your podcast, you can check it out. Do me a favor. Rate, like, review. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors. I would greatly appreciate it. And YouTubers. Like I said, my people, the originals, because it wasn't for you guys, I would never be here at all. I am up to 1,236 subscribers. I appreciate you guys watching me. I know I came on at noon. That's the only time Lance could do it because 
he's got a show. He's got to be on the air at six. So I did something different, checked it out. Uh, you guys can watch the replay. And other than that, you guys have a wonderful July 4th weekend. Go shoot off some fireworks. Let's celebrate our independence. Go have a burger, a dog, a beer, play some cornhole with your family and friends. And let's just enjoy the weekend and celebrate this great country we are in. And other than that, that's just sports, baby. See ya!